Welcome back to Hope This Helps, a non-fungible podcast featuring non-fungible topics hosted by non-fungible people. We are announcing a non-fungible show number 36. Our non-fungible categories this week include The Boot Up, Defender for Endpoint, Microsoft Ignite Recap, A State of the Zunion Update, Outlook Signatures are, are Still a Nightmare, and maybe that is accurate if we get there. Welcome back to yeah. Hope This Helps. So I absolutely thought for a second that they said non-fungusable. I mean, it's close. And... Fungible is close to fungusable. <laughs> yeah. So my reading comprehension skills are are lacking. The internet's comprehension of M- NFTs is pretty incomprehensible as well. So you know what? Don't be sorry. Just just be confused with everybody else. Is NFT mean not for Tiff? Yeah, it means not for Tiff. It means not for Steve. They're just images you can save as and people are paying money for for some reason. Like OnlyFans? Yeah, it's like OnlyFans, except you don't even get anything worthwhile from it. You just get a picture that you could get for free by screenshotting. I don't know. Whatever an NFT defines itself as. Nobody knows what they are. They're just podcast topics now. Oh, so people just talk about them for no reason. Exactly. And okay. I don't know. You don't know. We clearly don't know. I feel as if I need to Google this, but I don't think it'll lead me anywhere. It won't. It'll just lead you to a bunch of just weird articles that just like say a bunch of words and they're a thousand words long. And then you come out going, what did I just read? Wait, don't they call those blogs? Yeah. Those can be NFTs now too. Not for TIFF. Not for TIFF. I mean, I can think of other words too. Well, I'm trying to think of things that are for TIFF. Things like um, things like uh, Microsoft and Microsoft things. Microsoft Cloud. Microsoft things that are well, they're not NFTs, but we have blog posts. We have a blog post that I put out. Well, I wrote because I was bored the other day about PS Windows Update and Outlook categories. Those are out on our website, hthbc.com. Little things we've been doing during our downtime between whenever our last episode was. Little little tidbits of knowledge, little little droplings or fungus, funguses. So speaking of droplings, Microsoft um. and service issues. <laughs> well, oh, that's a good segue. Wow, I'm impressed. I figured I might as well bring some transitions if we're if if we're gonna do this. We're like a two thousand and three. We're like an Office two thousand and three PowerPoint transition. Whoosh, whoosh. A nice star wipe. <laughs> yes. So Microsoft and service issues. I've had enough of the service issues in March, at least. Yes. And April. Yes, because. Just this week or last week. One of again, I don't know which day of the week it is today, <laughs> so it could very easily have been this all all the weeks in April. So <laughs> less than two weeks ago, twelve days ago, there was a massive Azure outage. It was a DNS based outage that somehow took down most of the Azure infrastructure for the better part of an hour and some change. And that was not great. Stuff just stopped working eventually. That was not great. And on the Ides of March, May 15th, not May 15th, March 15th, we had 
a problem where you couldn't sign into Azure and it was SSO. And I feel like we've been here before where Azure just goes down in one fell swoop and we then receive all these grandiose promises from Microsoft that this will be the last time it happens and we're so sorry. Oh, let's actually take a direct quote from their last, or sorry, second to last outage from March 15th. We understand how incredibly impactful and unacceptable this is and apologize deeply. We are continuously taking steps to improve the Microsoft Azure platform and our processes to help ensure such incidents do not occur in the future. So... Just shovel that into my face right there. Yeah. I feel like that's some major gaslighting going on from Microsoft. And there was an even better one from April 1st. And I believe the way they worded it was, we rerouted traffic to our resilient DNS capabilities and are seeing improvement in service availability. And I was like, resilient DNS, huh? I almost want to say resiliency and dynamic are oxymorons. Don't call your product resilient if it goes down this often. Right. That's my simple and direct advice. Also, it brings up the question of why wasn't the production equipment resilient are they saving the resilient hardware for when this happens so they can also be the white knight because that is some narcissism right there straight it is complete narcissism i didn't die in azure 104 to hear about availability sets availability zones and all the wonderful underwater data centers that azure has everywhere on every grass blade of the planet to have this go down and then be told, oh, it won't happen again until another 15 days. It just makes me wonder, like this article also says, so this traffic was not dropped by Microsoft's volumetric mitigation system. So wait, it's a mitigation system and it did not mitigate? That's not a very great mitigation system, I'll tell you that. So then it had to update, they had to update the logic on the volumetric spike. This sounds like when you go to the doctors and they just say a lot of words at you. It's like an episode of House MD right before a commercial where just everything just hits the fan and it's like, oh, oh the blood, blood pressure spiking. Bring over the crash cart. He's, he's, he's vomiting his own urine and, uh, and cut to black. That's basically what happened right. to Asher. Right before House just like downs like a bottle of Vicodin. Right. And then when you come back from the commercial break, it's all back, but it's not explained as to what happened or what the problem was. <laughs> Right, because the bike getting kicked in and they just assume you don't care anymore. Yeah, and House and Cuddy are squabbling about something. Yes, yes. That's exactly. I just, I really enjoy that we were able to fit a house reference in, in here. I'm always available for a good house reference, no matter I, what. I almost feel as if I need to go back and rewatch all of House. I have never watched the last episode because oh, I refuse. I, I can't. I cannot bring myself to know what happens. It's not the greatest way a show could end, but it's not terrible either. It's it's fine. It's 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 a solid. It's like the highest 7 out of 10 I can give. All right, 7 out of 10, I will take it. Yeah. Oh, so yeah, outages. Outages. So yeah, outages. Yeah, no, not to start the podcast on a negative note, but there's been a lot of outages and just complete BS. Okay, I'll I'll pile I'll dogpile one more before we leave one this more. topic. One more for good. Uh, over the weekend, Microsoft had a problem with migrating on-premise mailboxes to Exchange Online, 
we were detecting errors in this, and I noticed just the command was timing out after 10 minutes trying to migrate just one mailbox. We're just like, okay, this is a problem. This isn't great. So I filed a little report a problem ticket thing in the, the Office 365 portal thing. And I said, we can't migrate. There's an error. It's timing out. And the error message seems to indicate it's on the cloud side. So the ticket's there as investigating for a couple hours. Comes back as, nah, we, th- there's no problem. We found no issue. But the problem persisted. And I was like, well, clearly something's wrong. So we opened up a ticket with Microsoft. That person also was failing to find anything and tell us nothing was found. And we're like, ah, great. Like, we should probably escalate this to SEV-A if this is going to continue to not function for us. The next morning, we get a little advisory saying, oh, by the way, since April 10th, which is three days ago, Microsoft's Exchange Online mailbox migrations haven't been working due to a code regression, and we're deploying a fix to potentially mitigate it, but it won't be done by Friday, and today is Tuesday. Insane. (laughs) First of all, don't deny it twice and then lie to us about the problem not existing, and then silently post that, oh, this has been a problem since three days before you even reported it to us. What kind of, what kind of honesty is that? Um, that's the kind that you get when you get into a narcissistic relationship, and you're made to feel like you don't know anything. That makes you want to like say, hey, um, can I talk to your retention department? It's time we discussed severing contracts. It's it's that it makes you start feeling those kind of feelings. And right. when you're just being gaslit and that you're told that it's not a problem and then like later they go back on that and say, oh, there was a problem. It's been a problem for a while and uh, we're not going to be able to fix this problem for a while. It's like that's an abusive relationship with a cloud vendor. Right. right. We'll We'll get to it when we get to it is essentially what you're being told. Yeah, it's like, oh, great, thanks. Like, I think, uh, I don't know if Google's cloud could have done this better. Let's uh, maybe think about them. Or maybe my own on-premise environment could have just avoided this entirely. You know, Microsoft, this isn't a good look. No, especially because I'm hearing a lot more questions of why don't we just go to AWS? Why don't AWS this? And I honestly hate the idea of supporting anything Jeff Bezos has touched. So, or not even touched. He, I doubt he has touched it, but I have a hard time getting behind the Amazon cloud. Yeah, not not a fan of Bezos land, but, you know. Bezos land. It sounds like a horrible like take on Disney World. Jeff World. Jeff World. Everyone's favorite ride, the the Amazon delivery van bathrooms. Ugh. Ooh. Uh, that doesn't sound like a great time. Yeah. So so Microsoft, I don't want to go to Bezos land. Please try to fix your own not Bezos land of problems. And I'm going to continue calling these out until it's fixed because I'm just tired of it. I think you should continue to call these out because they're not acceptable. Yep. No, we have every right to. We pay them a lot of money. So want to talk about Exchange Plus addressing? <laughs> Yeah, I do. Now we're done thoroughly taking a dump on this service. Let's talk about a new feature that's coming out called Plus Addressing. Yes, so it is out now for, I believe, in general availability. I think you still have to enable it at your tenant before you can start using it. So it's not, you know, just a free for all. Yes. So I was able to enable it and actually begin using it. And as someone who has never used Plus Addressing in Gmail, because I... Honestly, I'm a lazy person like I and also my ADHD brain just like cannot think beyond like adding additional things to my life. 
It's just, it just doesn't do that. It's difficult, yeah. Yeah, so I didn't realize how handy plus addressing could be for something like a service account, but I'll get to that in a moment. So all you have to do is enable it in your tenant and then you're good to go. But there are some caveats to just enabling it. If you have any anything that has pluses, which if you were on-prem before and migrated up, you would have never been able to use a plus in your email anyways, but those will no longer be available. Oh no, I was going to start up my work-related streaming service, Steve Plus. My email address is not going to work anymore because of this. Oh, no. Darn. All right. Steve plus Tiff. Uh, no more Steve plus Tiff. Well, well, that's why it was always just stiff. Like, we, oh, we just did the full equation. We didn't do a plus. We just did a T. Yeah, we just did a T. Yeah. So, you know what? No, we were fine. We, it was never a problem we're for good. us. No. But anyone else who tried to do their own streaming service with a plus, uh, you're screwed. Yeah, it's not going to work. So I guess the reason why this is so popular is when people go out to retailers or out in the world and they give their email address, they'll often be like, so-and-so plus junk mail at blah, blah, blah at Gmail. And so what happens is the mail still comes to your email address, but it's so you don't have to give out your real email address. Again, like I don't really see a value in that because I uh, like all you have to do is take away the plus and you have my email address. So I don't really understand the value of that for like my real life. Yeah, I don't quite understand the way Microsoft did it here. The way I think that was done coherently are a little, or at least in my mind, I can just understand it better. Apple's iCloud mail, what they just do is they just offer you three aliases. You can set them to be whatever you want as long as they are available. And you can set them and you can revoke them at any time. So I could just be like, I could be Steve, hope this helps at iCloud.com. But I could also have another alias of like Zebra, Charlie, Bravo, Delta, hope this helps at iCloud.com. And as long as it's available that alias will be attached to my account and I can give that out instead of my real email. And it doesn't give you any hint as to what my actual iCloud email is. That's a feature I understand. It's just adding a plus with a word at the end of it, though. I don't understand why. what would not cause people to say, what if I remove the plus and the noun or verb or whatever and just leave the original name? And it's like, there's no problem with emailing that unless there's a re- recipient restriction. Right. So I don't quite understand. So, all right. So I just found... Uh, an article on the official Gmail blog. And this person said that the real value in being able to manipulate your email address is that it makes it really easy to find on those variants. For example, you could use hiking plus bank at gmail.com when you sign up for online banking and then set up a filter automatically star archive or label emails addressed to hiking fan plus bank. So okay, I just, I, I understand it, but at the same time, as someone who has been working on exchange for such a long I'm just like, this seems like more work than it needs to be. Yeah, maybe it's just, I don't know, maybe it's just not designed the way we, we think it's supposed to be used. Maybe, because if I think about it this way, say I did like hiking fan plus bank, but what if I forgot that for banking, I use hiking fan plus bank, and then I like go and create another one. And then I create like a bajillion, because that would be me. I would create like a trillion, or what if I forgot that I made one that's called plus donation? Now my filter is no good. Right. Yeah. If you make too many, it gets out of control. 
However, I did find a really good use case for this for service accounts. Oh, okay. Do tell. So um, I was working with my security engineer. He's not an engineer. Security and compliance privacy manager. I don't know titles anymore. Yeah, same thing. But he thought that the plus addressing was very interesting. And one of the things we came up with was that if you have a service account, you can then like plus address the application. So then you only need one service account with the plus address. So say like you're, yeah. So then like you're monitoring the like, say like, cause you know how like you get all the like the notification emails and stuff. But if you use the plus addressing for the application, so you just be like sysops, SVC underscore sysops plus service now sysops uh, svc sysops underscore azure so then right. you could just, just one instead account. of making like a million all those notifications can just go to one address and then you can filter and like run queries and like e-discovery rather than like trying to figure out what service account is so that was the only use case i could think of it being actually pretty cool for yeah that's a that's a cool idea yeah and i think yeah, and I'm still thinking of like better use cases where like why not just get an exchange alias made for yourself that's like just a different anonymized email address entirely. But the point of this plus addressing is that it puts it in the hands of the users, I think, and you don't have to go through your exchange admin or or reach that deeply into the admin center for exchange wherever it is. And instead, it's just a setting in Outlook. It comes with the limitations of, yeah, you're stuck with, you know, name plus, but you at least have the ability to do that. And the service account angle is really cool. That does reduce the amount of accounts you have floating around. Yeah, that was really the only thing that I could think of for why it would be worthwhile. Yeah, so it has it has uses. It's just maybe not quite what we were expecting it to be originally, but it, it's still got value. It sure does. I wasn't excited about it until I thought about it from the service account aspect. Yeah, and that's cool. Yeah, that's so that that gives it some some legs, I guess. Because if there's one thing I don't like doing, it's creating shared mailboxes or service accounts. I don't think anyone likes doing either of those things. No. Just just full stop, just no. No. So then all you have to do is create one one account and then leave it to the powers that be to do what they need to do. And that will be super helpful for just ops or whatever, shifting left or whatever you want to call it. Right. Whatever we're calling it these days, whatever the kids are calling it. Buzzword of the day. But you know how to, how to keep track of all those buzzwords of the day. So Microsoft Teams on their roadmap coming soon is the ability to reply to any specific message, not just in teams themselves but in any chat or any one-to-one message any of that that's coming soon to teams wait what is that replying to a specific message in microsoft teams you know the feature that slack has had the entire time it's existed yes my only problem with slack is i hate the way it makes it a thread and it just it drives me crazy just do what every other text messaging application has done for a million years and just take that and put it below Keep the conversation moving. The, right. the threaded feature is the only feature that drives me insane about Slack. 
I like and hate the idea of every message being a possible thread. But like you said, in Slack, I get confused because then I have to scroll like up and down. And it helps for like staying in context. Like say you're like you're talking with one person and you're talking about like five things at once. And it's admittedly hard when you're just messaging each other back and forth and it's just scrolling up and up and up. And you're like, wait, I still want to talk about that thing yes. we mentioned for like a second. And you can reply to that specifically and say, no, um, I want to keep talking about this up here. Let's keep going in this little reply thread. But now you've got two streams you got to keep a, keep an eye on and you it just right. gets more chaotic from there. Yeah. So sometimes in Slack, I'll get a reply and then I'll just reply on the bottom. But I don't. I lose track of the conversation and then yeah. I just like I like what just happened. Yeah. That was like my failure to reply to thread. It was not great. Yeah, my I usually my the way my brain works is I'll like go back to a message if I want to keep going on it and I'll just reply from there. But yeah, no it can, it can get confusing. But yeah, that confusion is coming to Teams relatively soon. It is marked as in development and release of April CY 2021. So I don't know if it's already out yet. Maybe it'll trickle out to Teams at some point, but that's coming soon. So buckle up. Buckle up. Buckle up. Speaking of buckling up, Microsoft breaking Windows 10 thrice in one month with printing patches. I don't know if you've been uh, up on this stuff, but this has been apparently a massive mess. No, tell me more. So Microsoft put out a patch in March, you know, just your usual cumulative update, but it caused blue screens of death for, I don't know, some .sys file, APC index mismatch maybe. And then Microsoft puts out a workaround and an emergency out-of-band patch to address it. And guess what this does? This ends up causing more blue screens for unrelated things. So then Microsoft puts out another patch to try to fix this. This also breaks things in different ways. So it ends up just being such a mess, Microsoft just paused the whole entire thing. I don't know if it actually has been fixed, because I think I kind of fell off the fell off the wagon on this one. But yeah, it was KB five hundred sixteen forty nine was I guess the last one in this in this mess. But yeah, it's been it's been a fun week for patching on the Windows 10 side of things, not even on the server side. It's affected most yeah. versions of Windows 10. That sounds like a nightmare. Yeah, it's been particularly, I've heard the word Kyocera printers being passed around. Oh. I guess that's been <laughs> a, if you deal with those, you're especially having a bad time. I just want to point out, wait, Kyocera is still a, is still a company? Apparently, yeah. I mean... Whether or not they're an active company for printers is, I don't know. It's its like HP JetDirect, you know, it just never truly goes away. I guess. But Kyocera made like cell phones. They made like the track phone, didn't they? Like, I think that sounds vaguely familiar in my head as like cell phone company or something. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I had one at one point. Yeah, Kyocera mobile phone. Yeah, yeah. If you search from Kyocera. Yeah, if I search it, actually, that's the first. Um, that's the first autocorrect result is the Kyocera flip phone. Yeah, they had the first like somewhat okay cell phone. Yeah, so Kyocera. Yeah, but yeah, that's not playing well with the with the Windows 10 patches, I guess, from oh. what I've heard. Oh, well, that's really sad. Yeah. Also, like, who is printing? Who is corporate printing? That's what I want to know. Yeah, all these stars, like, you're working from home. Like, why are you printing all all this stuff out? Like, where's but it going? What, like, 
yeah are people just lugging home their corporate printers not only that like what are you going to do with all your covid papers like i don't want to touch your covid papers that you're printing (laughs) you're going to scan them to me (laughs) your covid papers we have pdfs and if we don't need to fax things there's we don't need any of that we don't need printers no they could be just leftovers from when people were in offices maybe I don't, don't know. get me wrong. There's something to be said. Like sometimes when I'm reading uh, something very long, I like it printed out, but I've gotten used to just reading it digitally. Right. Yeah, that's fair. There is yeah the tangible on paper re- readability. That's just something it seems illogical, but our brains like it. And I totally get that. But at the same time, I've mostly trained my brain to just read stuff digitally on a, on a monitor at all yes. times. Yep. I have as well. I'm also like a huge note taker and to cut down on paper, I've found this thing called a rocket book and it is awesome. Oh yeah, that's right. I think, um, yeah, I think one of, uh, yeah, a colleague of ours has, has also done that. Yeah. It's, it's weird. I don't understand it. It's like a physical note paper that yeah. then translates digitally and it's just like magic to me. Right. I think of it like almost like a little notebook whiteboard. So I like having a surface because I can kind of do both. I can tangibly write notes if I need to. No, that's awesome. Not like in that commercial with the MacBook. You got this little bar, but you don't have a whole touch screen. I know. I don't know if you've seen that Surface commercial, but it's hilarious. I have. But aren't they getting rid of the the touch bar? Or am I making that up? No, you're not making that up. Apparently, There's been rumors that Apple was dropping the touch bar from their MacBooks because it's so stupid. And rightfully so, just replace it with the real button strip for the function keys again. Just like on the M1 MacBook Air and the lower end MacBooks. Like people just like that better. If you're going to do a touchscreen, do a full touchscreen. Don't don't screw around with like this weirdness on the keyboard. Mm, I agree. I always thought it was dumb. They never gave the users a voice on what they wanted. And, you know, it also isn't giving the users a voice anymore is Microsoft because user oh. voice is going away. In fact, it's already started. No! On every major user voice for Microsoft stuff, they put out a notice saying they are phasing it out for through the end of uh, 2021. So user voice is going away and there's no clear replacement. They just said our telemetry and feedback processes will keep us in the know for future things. I am worried about that because user voice, I, I don't care if there was useless stuff on there. It was still um, an avenue to get to Microsoft. And getting rid of that avenue and just plugging your ears and going la 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 is not great business, I think. It's not a great user feedback survey experience. Telemetry will not answer all problems. No, that's so sad. Yeah, so that's uh, that will be coming in 2021, added to the Death Watch user voice going away. That honestly just broke my heart. Yeah, it's it's made a lot of people unhappy, it seems. Because, you know, I don't want to tweet Microsoft every time something's wrong. They're not going to listen. The feedback app in Windows 10 is just not, I don't know, I feel like that's just yelling into a void. And, you know, insider programs, no one has time for that. And telemetry, I, I don't want to rely on telemetry for feedback. You know, especially if we try to turn it off or it doesn't properly report. Or it doesn't just read my mind for some brilliant idea. It was something user voice was incredibly good at. And I'm dismayed that it's gone now. So something interesting, like on Tony Redmond's blog, the first comment 
on this topic is this looks more like an attempt to hide all the suggestions they've ignored over the years because they're listening to the feedback is just lip service. I've seen numerous, numerous good ideas and a fair number of votes go ignored for years. Yes, and that's valid. It's funny. I was on. I was actually on one Teams user voice for a long time that was complaining about the problem where Teams just sucks up your CPU in RAM. And very recently, I think they've been starting to reply to a lot of these en masse, and they basically said, hey, uh, thanks for reporting your feedback. We hear you, and uh, we're trying to see if we could fix it. But by the way, user voice is shutting down. Bye. That's not okay. You can't just use that as a cop-out for we're not going to fix this. And one of the things that I really like about the user voice is that sometimes if Microsoft hasn't come up with a solution, someone in the comments always has like a really good idea about a workaround or at least like how to navigate this like not working. Yeah. And for a long time, it was just use Teams in a browser because that because the browser will kind of corral the CPU and RAM better than the actual Electron app. And Microsoft says, oh, we're going to deploy a new version of Electron soon with Electron, I forget what version number it was on, and that will solve all the problems. But I don't know. Yeah. I'm just, that makes me really sad. The user voice, I don't know. I might add a loss of words for it as well. That's what happens when there's no more user voice. Yeah, I just feel silenced. I feel silenced. (laughs) I have no more words. There won't be any words. (laughs) Oh, so sad. Speaking of words and mesh and bubbles and things, it's, I know it's been a hot minute. It's been a while, but Ignite Part Two happened about a month and a half ago. And um, did you watch any of it? No. I did, and I didn't at the same time. I watched a bit, and then I just tuned out. I was like, "This is just this is crap. <laughs> this is this is dumb. Tarnishing the Ignite name, Microsoft. Shameless self promotion and." weirdness and bubbles and popping sounds and vr and i don't understand what i what i watched for that keynote speech it was laden with all these sound effects of bubbles underwater and they never turned them off and it was drowning out a lot of the people speaking that was driving me crazy wait what was it the keynote speech involved an announcement of a new product called microsoft mesh which was trying to leverage hololens to mix reality for the modern workplace and working from home remotely. And they demoed it in the keynote speech with someone in an underwater environment. And they invited the Ignite people with HoloLens headsets or VR headsets to join and literally sit in the audience to join this weird bikini bottom presentation where they had all these little bubble sounds that never turned off and were not properly sound balanced. And it was just pop, 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 pop. It was insane. I was like, this is a corporate presentation right here, and we can't even get the sound right. Yeah. For the record, the audience had maybe like 30 or 40 people in it. I was like, that's a global audience. I was like, you know, that's not not really making a great case for it here. Like if Apple were to do this, they would have at least like handed the headsets to at least a couple thousand people to give the illusion of a lot of people were in there or had some pre-made video of it working, but they did it live at Microsoft Ignite. And I don't think it made for a good show kind of seemed a little sloppy and it lasted way too long it just went on and on and on i was like when are we going to get to the actual stuff i care about for enterprise it not this hololens stuff in which hololens is not really even readily available for anyone outside the enterprise or if you're a company with a lot of money yeah so i'm not gonna lie as soon as i saw like that opening act i immediately was like yeah i'm not gonna watch any of this 
I stuck around for a few. I did get into the PowerShell teams meeting. It was basically a teams meeting with like 300 people. And it had some of the big names. It had, um, you know, Jeff Snover, uh, Jason Helmick, and a few others, I believe. But there was nothing truly new. It was actually just a general talk about PowerShell and the usual, hey, PowerShell 7 exists. You can do this, this, and this with it. But I felt like I heard this already, especially from the previous Ignite. And I was just kind of overall left wanting a little more by the end of it all. Agreed. Uh, For what I did read, I didn't get to watch much or really any of it. The news that I felt like was coming out of it was lackluster. Didn't really have a ton to offer. Yeah, at least, yeah, we're not alone in our scathing review of this Ignite. It was just a lot of, they didn't have anything to show other than just announcing strange features that should have just been side announcements, honestly. There was a lot of mention of Viva, which I'm still not entirely sure I understand what it is. Man, we were living la vida loca in a gata de viva in this Ignite thing. Yeah, it's funny how everything was like super viva everything. And now uh, I really haven't seen much about it. I was going to say, where where is this viva? Where's my year of viva? Yeah, I know that it's rolling out. This is like Microsoft's big problem. They talk a big game about some product and then you never hear about it again. You know, it happened with Yammer and then nobody uses it, and then it just dies. Right, right. And that's why they're getting rid of user voice. Well, user voice was actually useful, and they didn't talk about well, it as much as... that's what I mean. As... They, they don't want people to talk about it, though. Right, but there won't be a user voice to say how to improve Viva or Yammer or SharePoint or Office or OneDrive or Teams or Windows or Windows Server or any of that. That's all going away. That's so sad. It makes my heart break. But yeah, so yeah, Microsoft Ignite, it was just a marketing fest. That was this year. Oh, well, we'll, we get another crack at it this uh, fall, I think. And I'm not sure if they announced if it's going to be physical or not. I certainly hope it is. I hope so, too. I miss the camaraderie of being in person. Yeah, just the sheer chaos and the smells. The the nasty coffee. The nasty coffee and being so tired by the time they roll the booze out in the convention area that you just want to go home and it's so true and then yeah the after parties and the after parties oh god the after parties right you don't get those in in virtual it's funny because it was already going to be a different ignite even if covid didn't happen because they got rid of the florida convention center and it was set to be in new orleans so i know it was totally gonna be and very different experience so whatever new ignite happens is going to be radically different than the florida ones of years past at this point yeah i 100 percent agree yeah so that's gonna be that's gonna be super fun whenever that happens hopefully by the end of this year but yeah here's to hoping that ignite improves after these two duds of remote conferences yes yes i yeah we have an unplanned outage, and I'm going to insert this right in between these two topics. Yes, I'm so excited. We got a sponsor, and it's a sponsor, and it's something I'd like to call No Hello. Don't just say hello in chat. Please don't just say hello in chat. It's as if you called someone on the phone and said hi, and then put them on hold. No, instead, please like message people with a purpose. Don't just say hello. Don't just say, got a sec. No, say hi. I need you for this. I will elaborate in a second if you have a few moments. Or just tell them what your problem is in the same sentence. It's a text chat. 
you don't have to do pleasantries. You can just say, hello, how are you? I hope things are well. Hey, I have this problem with XYZ. My widgets aren't working. I heard you are the widget guy. Can you help me with fixing the widgets? Thank you. Don't just start a chat with hello. And thank you to No Hello for sponsoring <laughs> this week's so episode. I hope this helps. That's so good. No Hello. That's, I have to say, that was nicely done. That always drives me insane. Do you have a sag? It happens to me all the time, and I always make an effort never to say just hi or got a sec or need your help. It's like that that infuriates me because I don't know what I'm getting into. I don't know how long it will take. At the same time, it's like I don't want to wait for you to be available. Just tell me what the problem is, and I'll get back to you when I get back to you, and then we don't have to waste time. Right. Just like tell me. Right. That's the one thing, and I think we've talked about this before, about teams, is like this idea of you need to respond to me right now. No, I don't. No, I don't. Not at all. And half the time, you know, if you wait five minutes, they've already figured out their problem anyway. Even if you just respond to me with hello, I'm going to wait a while. And I might not even reply to you to begin with because you didn't tell me what the context of your message even is. I've got better things to do with people that will actually tell me what the problem is straight out. Exactly. Oh, it's so true. Yes. So thanks so much to No Hello for sponsoring this week's episode. Go to nohello.com to learn more. Yeah. So good. I got an update on Defender for Endpoint, or DEEF as I'm calling it because ATP has been ripped from our arms as the not acronym to use for this product anymore. <laughs> yes. Deef. The portal recently changed to security.microsoft.com slash machines when it used to be securitycenter.windows.com slash machines. That's fun. That's not totally not confusing at all. The portal basically changed to something else, even though it's more or less the same, but... Now there's more options in the new version of the portal versus the old one. And as to why it changed, I don't know. Microsoft felt like changing it this week. And why Why did they feel like... Because nothing can just stay the same. It was like when the Security and Compliance Center kept changing around and when Message Trace for Exchange kept moving between... They couldn't decide whether they wanted it in the Security and Compliance Center or the Exchange Admin Center, and it kept flip-flopping for a few years. Yes. It's still confusing to this day. Yeah, and I don't, I don't know where it is this month. I think it's back in the Exchange Admin Center, but for a while you had to find it in Security and Compliance. Way back in the mm. day, it was the e-discovery search before that got Yes. Nuked. And now they keep moving it back. Like now they have like 15 different names for it. And uh, now they have like e-discovery core and it's um, e-discovery advanced. And then, oh. and then you can still go into the old Security and Compliance Center. That's insanity. So yeah, it's currently security.microsoft.com slash machines today. Oh, that's so fancy. Yeah, I don't know why they can't just say like dfe.microsoft.com. I don't know, because maybe they will maybe they'll change the name again in short order. Who knows? Yeah, Defender for Endpoint, um, and specifically I'm focusing on the server side of things. I found a bug in one of the GPOs recently for Windows Defender, and it's regarding the scan schedule GPO. And this is something you might want to set when you are configuring your DEEF GPO because you don't want all your systems to you know, run scans and blow out your CPU in your VMware vCenter or something or Hyper-V, Hypervisor, or just you don't want your CPU blown out on whatever server is hosting these. That's fair. The default setting is it's not going to do this by default, but if you'd like to explicitly set it, the GPO appears to be bugged. 
if you enable the settings specify the day of the week to run a scheduled scan, and you set a day of the week, you click apply and then OK, it will incorrectly configure the GPO to be disabled, which is the opposite of what you want because then it's going to just set a default value for the scheduled scan and enable it, which is not what you want. You want to set, you know, you want to be able to completely have control over this. And I guess this GPO is bugged. It's kind of weird. That is strange. Yeah, and this was tested on a server 2012 R2 DC. Whether or not it was fixed on 2016 DC, I'm not sure. But if you try from a server 2016 or 2019 system with the tools installed, the admin tools, it still seems to exhibit the same behavior. So I'm not entirely convinced that the new OS will exactly fix this as far as I'm concerned. No, probably not. But other than that, yeah, uh, Deef Deef has been fun just figuring all that out. It's a lot of prereqs. It's a lot of work. And rolling it out kind of depends on whether or not you have SCCM. It is possible without SCCM, but you're going to have to do a lot more legwork. Onboarding your servers will depend on the operating system. The older the operating system, the harder it's going to be, the more stuff you got to install beforehand. One of the biggest prereqs I've found for 2008 is you got to make sure the .NET Framework 4.5 is installed. Otherwise, a lot of stuff just isn't going to properly install. PS Windows Update will not be available to you because PowerShell 5 is not installed, and PS Windows Update is helpful for going out to Microsoft Update to grab the Defender anti-malware engine definitions, that of which, as far as I see, are not available in the Microsoft Update catalog and can't be imported into WSUS. Oh, it can't? As far as I understand, I've been trying to find these KBs, and I just can't find them. There's also a couple of prerequisite KBs It's escaping me which one specifically was the one for one of the OSs, but it's just not in the catalog and you can't get it into uh, WSUS for some reason. And a lot of this Mm. is just, it's a lot of like inconsistent, a lot of inconsistencies combined with like Microsoft's often not so helpful like documentation overload where there's just too many pages that just have too much noise and don't tell me what I need. And then I end up writing my own documentation because there's actually a set of requirements that I just discover on my own that have nothing to do with the actual Microsoft documentation. And it's just crazy. Yeah, that's that's not the first time that you've had to do that, though, with a Microsoft product. The thing that infuriates me the most is that I need PS Windows Update to actually go out to reach out to Microsoft Update to grab only the update for the anti-malware engine and its definitions without grabbing all of the other updates that may be available for the system as is now customary for server 2016 and higher, where if you click check for updates, it's just going to install whatever it finds. And if you install check online for updates from Microsoft Update, God help you, because that's going to find everything and install it. Ooh. And it's like, no, I want just this one KB that just happens to be only in Microsoft Update, and I can only do that by using PS Windows Update. Ooh. So does it automatically install those updates? If you're using the GUI, yes. The check for updates button might as well be renamed for check for and install updates because that's what it does. If you want to be able to pick and choose your updates and install them selectively and decline them on the system on a case-by-case basis and have full control, you got to use PS Windows Update using the get-windows-update command. And I think we might have talked about it before, I forget. I think so. It's also in the blog post I detailed about PS Windows Update, which is excellent. Yay. Yeah, that's that's kind of your saving grace on the newer versions of Windows if you want some control over what comes down. 
and you just don't want the fire hose of whatever available updates come down in the system. Mm, that's still obnoxious, though. Yeah. So, yeah, Defender for Endpoint's been fun. I've been having fun with some of the console features, which you can search by CVE. You can check all of the recommendations for a server. And it's cool what it finds. It's also kind of scary what it finds. It finds all these settings. I'm just like, I didn't even know this was a thing. Or I didn't even know this was a possible exploit path. Oh, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, I can't wait to play with it more. It's just get the road to Defender for Endpoint is just difficult. That's all. Yeah, it. I don't know much about it. That's why I'm like far and few between. I know what it is and I know what it does, but like I don't really know. And it's also very new still, isn't it? It is pretty new. One thing, if you have servers in Azure or you deploy servers in Azure, they are automatically onboarded. So one way of kind of dipping your toe into it, provided you have the uh, appropriate E5 licensing for it, or A5, what, what the, the five licensing. Yeah, one of the five. If you have that licensing purchased and you are deploying Azure servers, you, it is automatically added to the security center and you can just start playing with it. That is interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah. And that was something I kind of discovered by accident when I was like, why are our Azure servers already in here? I was like, oh, I guess they just add it automatically. And that makes sense. It's no additional penalty on the server to have that running. It's just less work to do to get it installed. That's very true. So that's uh, that's the def update of, of this episode. Small yeah. things, little things to watch out for. There's not a lot of info on def other than Microsoft's official documentation. So it's kind of I hope it helps that I'm talking to someone about this out there. Mm, that is true. I hope that like they start really like getting more documentation. It's not even like about more documentation. I think it's just about more Better. quality documentation. Yeah. There's so much Microsoft Docs pages, and a lot of it's just overwhelming and just becomes labyrinthian, or it's just unhelpful. One of the prereqs for Defender for Endpoint is like install a February 2018 rollup update. I'm like, it's 2021. I'm not going to go back and install that update at this point because that's dangerous to go that far back. Even if I could install that rollup, why would I? Why wouldn't right. I just want to install the latest rollup? Why shouldn't it just say install a recent rollup because it's the year of our Lord 2021? Yeah, that makes more sense. That's just, just my thoughts on it. I think they need to make sure the documentation is actually up to date. And also include the little nugget that they don't support Windows Server 2012 without R2. That's not in the documentation at all. Instead, they just omit that operating system completely. But it bugs me because that operating system is still technically supported, at least for about another year or so. And I know they have R2, but I don't think their official guidance ever was for 2012 to upgrade to R2 like it was a service pack. No, that's a whole new operating system with a whole new set of requirements. Certain systems like the PowerEdge 2920, I believe, can only run server 2012. It can't run server 2012 R2. So you can't just tell me to in-place upgrade because it's not always possible. That's very true. I always forget that there are quite a few differences. And it makes no sense considering server 2008 R2 is supported for DEEF and 2012 is not. That makes zero sense whatsoever. Right. That doesn't make sense. So yeah, that's that's still my one of my big gripes about it. But, you know, hey, here's what it is. Microsoft, please listen. I would tell you on user voice, but you're getting rid of user voice. Right. There's no point now. They're just going to shut you off. Yep. Said too many words. So no more user voice for me. Oh, yeah. You've ha you have too many opinions. You're not allowed to anymore. Well, I can express some opinions that I'm sure Microsoft no longer cares about because they haven't cared about this product for well over a decade. 
It's the State of the Zunion for April 13th, 2021. This is my favorite. This State of the Zunion is very near and dear to my heart. There is a way you can restore the native Zune software video conversion system that was ripped out of Windows 10 a couple of versions ago by swapping in a DLL from the anniversary edition of Windows 10, I believe. It's just wmvcore.dll. And all you have to do is you have to swap in the file. And once you do that, you restart the Zune software, possibly your computer, depending on how you did it. And once you do that, Zune will convert compatible MP4 and WMV video to your Zune format without the need for any external converters or weirdness that we needed before. And that just makes it so much nicer. I added a bunch of videos to my Zune 80 using this method. I can confirm it fully functions on Windows 10 20H, 20H2. Life is good. It's made the Zune that much greater. It brought it back to some of its glory days. Mm, that's so awesome. I'm glad you still use it. Yeah, super big credit to the r slash Zune subreddit for that. Whoever figured that out, it was awesome. I then played around with it and confirmed it. And there's download links on the Zune subreddit, and it works. It's great. Just just total thumbs up from here. Yay. No, that's awesome. I love that you still keep finding like little things to do to your Zune. Yeah, I'm, I'm the owner of a blind Zune. I have a Zune that has a screen that doesn't work, but when I plug it into an AV dock, I wrote out what the menu sequence is. Really? I know exactly how many clicks it takes to get to the settings menu and the TV out menu. So I can enable that, and then the Zune suddenly has a screen again via the CRT television I have it connected to, and then I can watch standard deaf videos in it and the wonderful color reproduction glory that a CRT can provide. That's awesome. Sounds like a great day. Yeah, it is It is magical. Like, watching 4x3 content specifically made for that kind of TV, like, the colors look so good. Like, I missed seeing that. It was just, I don't know, HDTVs just don't have the colors that CRTs have. It is totally fun. So great. Yeah. So anyways, so yeah, that's the state of the Zunia for April 13th, 2021. Yeah. So Outlook signatures are still a nightmare. Absolutely. Absolutely. What is up with this dumpster fire? So, all right. One, I still don't understand why we don't have unified Outlook signatures. I don't understand how this is so challenging. I did hear that Outlook signatures were getting moved to the cloud so you can move between Outlook versions and you don't have to reset your signature every time. I did hear that only, was coming. Only if you're on a PC. Oh, that's dumb. Okay. No, yeah. I retract my so statement. Dumb. So I was so excited for it. I was ready and I was just like, this is going to be great. Like, And then it was like, oh yeah, by the way, this is only for PCs. I work in an all Mac environment. So I was like, well, this is fantastic. So one of the things is like we just recently decided to let our lease lapse on our building, which is totally fine because we want to build out and expand. And so we have to change our address to a PO box in the meantime. No one has done that. And we're an online business. So if we're getting mail, it's not getting to us. So we need like a way to unify our signatures and get a more standard approach. And again, the cloud option is fantastic. I can use PowerShell, I can update everyone's cloud. But if you've ever tried to look up how to modify a signature on a Mac, it's impossible. You can't even do it with Jam. Well, you can, but it involves like a lot more scripting than I wanna get involved with. 
Oh, that's miserable. That's yeah. I decided to also, oh, let me back up a little bit. So we also have this user, this user, well, these problems with signatures where when you try to copy and paste, the image gets all messed up and it causes a lot of headaches. One, I think this partially due in fact that um, when people are copying and pasting, they're doing it out of a Word document and not from like a message file, but that's neither here nor there and I don't really know. So one of the things I was challenged with doing was creating a way to have signatures that would be available on every device. And I was like, okay, this is interesting and take the same signature that we have and put it in there. One of the guys I work with created this PowerShell script that updates everyone's signatures and it's great, but it only works for Exchange Online for your OWA profile signature. So knowing what I know about transport rules, I was like, okay, I bet I can do this in a transport rule. Knowing what I know about Exchange Online, I was immediately like, no, I'm not going to be able to do this with a transport role. This is exchange <laughs> online. So I, of course, was like, I'm going to try it anyways. So I, I found some documentation online about how to actually make a disclaimer. And it was, it's very recent. And I will, it will be linked in the show notes. But one of the things that I found is that it worked. I copied and pasted all of the HTML and... I put it in there. And of course, like I had to do some modifying because again, you only have 5,000 characters to play with in a transport rule. So it became a challenge of taking this signature that was 5,600 characters and getting it below 5,000. Oh, yeah. that's a, That always sucks. You know, you're just like, what do I trim? I'm just going to trim random stuff or just try anything. Yes. So whereas I couldn't really trim much, I then had to start brainstorming how I could go about it a different way. And so the original PowerShell script had the HTML formatting with embedded image links. And so I was like, okay, what if I just do live external links? And so what I did was I created like this application, this Azure application that allows you, that would basically uses blob storage and it just has like a little like silly image interface on it. So you just can drag and drop images to it. So then I just hosted the images there and I took that link and put it into the transport rule. Then I used some regular expressions and voila. Now every that time. Awesome. Yeah. So now every time that I send an email, it fills in my signature automatically with whatever my Active Directory attributes are. So I did first name, last name, I did mobile number. And so what I'm going to do moving forward is for those people who don't want their mobile number listed, what I'll do is then put their actual phone number in the, the field with their work number. So that way it doesn't show up in their signature. Oh, that is cool. So I really thought through every single step of how to make this work in a fluid way. In the testing process, one of the things that I found was that calendar invites, I forgot that it does this. When the cal when someone would reply to like a calendar invite, it would send the signature and then it would like uncode all of the HTML. 
So I just created an exception. So signatures don't get applied to calendar invites. Oh, yes. Yeah, because you wouldn't want that to... Yeah, no, that makes sense. And I don't think that's like... I don't think that you usually see signatures and calendar invitations anyways. No, by default, I don't believe you do. Unless you like go out of your way to add it. But yeah, I don't think it does show up there. Yep. So I... <laughs> Start to finish created a whole signature ex transport rule using HTML. So all of the documentation online, of course, was very lackluster and unhelpful. So I was able to like piecemeal together the solution with various things that I found online that helped me to sort of get to where I was. Um, I did get some feedback from someone the person who wrote the original PowerShell script, who their suggestion was like, oh, well, you should do embedded image links. My only concern is that I don't have enough space. Right. Yeah. If it's characters and stuff. Yeah. That might be difficult. You're working so, with a you're working with an odd constraint there. So that might be might be out of the picture. Exactly. So far, I have not had any formatting issues besides the calendar. And I've also haven't had any like issues where the messages get blocked. And I think partially that's due to me hosting it on Azure, like hosting it in Azure in blob storage, like in the tenant. Right. Yeah. But hopefully that will be fine. Right. Because like my whole idea was like just create like an NTFS file share and then like link it like externally that way. And so I was able it's actually a lot harder to find how to do that with blob storage than you would think it would be yeah blob storage is tricky it's you know probably by design but especially if you're using it the way you are but yeah you're really piecing this together macgyver style i'm, I'm yeah. pretty i'm pretty impressed I, I didn't expect you went this deep with it holy crap uh, so when i actually brought it to my boss and i was like hey look i got email signatures to work his first response was actually kind of funny. It was just like, oh, this will, this isn't going to work. And I think mostly because he was in shock. He was in awe that I pulled it off because he gave me this task that I don't think he really thought that I could pull off because like, it's pretty loaded. Hey, Tiff, like, can you get email signatures to sync across like multiple devices on every, like without buying anything? <laughs> and I, in my brain, like I always immediately go like, yeah, I can do that. That sounds great. I'm not a developer, so it's really just me Googling things until it comes together. But I am really good at transport rules, so. There you go. Yeah, you, you use the knowledge you got to do the impossible, especially when you're asked to do something. You're like, I don't know how to do this at all. Yeah, no, it was, um, I definitely attributed that to my old exchange days of on-prem of needing to know regular expressions and filter out emails that way. Yeah, exactly. The only thing now I'm running into is I have to create separate transport rules because we want our users to be able to add pronouns to it. And I haven't, and this is where I get frustrated with Azure Active Directory because I would like to have extension attributes that I could create dynamic lists and groups off of that would auto-populate those. But... I don't have that, so I have to deal. You'd think that would be on the cloud-only side of Azure because if you're on-prem, yeah, you can sync whatever attribute you want you know, even, and have custom extension attributes or whatever. But yeah, you'd think that would be a thing in Azure, but 
and said, you know, you don't want to do this, but maybe you have to hijack some other field that will never be used, like a fax field or something. Who knows? Right. So that actually gets me thinking, though, because in Exchange Online, you still can see and use the extension attributes. However, Azure Active Directory cannot see them. So I'm wondering if I populate those into the extension attributes in Exchange because transport rules, they use Azure Active Directory to pull that information, but Exchange can see Exchange. So yeah, I, my mind is boggled because again, like Exchange is still the authoritative, but Azure Active Directory is like a limp noodle. It makes me so angry. You'd think this would be a little bit more coherently unified, but yeah, that's, that's, that's really stupid. This is what frustrates me about Azure Active Directory though, because I know that the things that I want to do were once possible with on-prem. Yeah, that's what frustrates me and what worries me about the cloud. I'm like, I knew how to do this on-prem. How do I do it in the cloud? Or what do you mean that's not available in the cloud? Right. Or the solutions that they present to you in the cloud that uh, replace the older ways of doing things don't make sense. They're like, why would you do it this way? It doesn't. Extension attributes. I get it. There's a lot more API connections for third-party apps. And in theory, you shouldn't need to have so many fields for your directory with, with proper IM and all that stuff. But how many organizations are actually set up that way yet? Yeah, probably not, not I many. would love to know that. Yeah, same. So yeah, that's my spiel on email signatures. Wow. Yeah, that was a that was a ride I didn't expect to be taken on. Wow. That that, that reminds me of like back in the day when I think I was using JavaScript to update a footer on a website using a using a separate external file. And it sounds like you're kind of doing something similar with the Azure Blob storage where you're just like, I'm just going to point to this and and just pull the info from there. Mhm. Exactly. I made just like a little Azure function app that has the blob storage on the back. And it has like such a silly little interface. It's almost like what PhotoBucket used to look like. Oh, geez. Wow. Yeah, it's so, yeah. I miss PhotoBucket so much. Oh, PhotoBucket. Uh, that's a lot of memories of 2004, 2005 internet forums and trying to figure out how to, you know, make websites. I'm pretty sure this is why I'm capable of piecemealing together <laughs> this stuff is from myspace days side note i got an i got a sad email from uh well what used to be freewebs.com and now it's uh, webs.com i had a I, I apparently still had some old accounts from some old websites i made in the high school days back when you could just make a you know a free website with freewebs.com and they said they're getting rid of all the free websites you had a grace period to pay up or we're just going to dump your content. And I got the email saying, <gasps> we dumped your content. And I'm like, oh, great. Well, screw you guys. Bye. It was no loss to me because I have moved. I did move that content. I've archived that content from those days. So it was no zero loss to me. But still, I'm just like, wow, you guys, you guys used to be the pioneers, like free websites and stuff. But I guess uh, you're, you're going the Vimeo route of going premium only. I'm like, well, I wish yeah. you well. I'm not, I'm not going to do it, but bye. Or Flickr, that made me so sad. Where they're like, you were going to give you unlimited storage forever. Or like terabyte of storage for life. And then two just years later, kidding. just kidding. It's too expensive. I believe Google Photos recently tried to pull that too. Or they did that with the Pixel owners. Like you had free photos, quote unquote, for life. And 
for life apparently means three years. You know, for <laughs> life's real short nowadays. Yeah, way to rush. They're doing the old the old Apple thing. Your device is only two years. You only get it for two years. Yeah, no. So d- it's like the iPad one, like no support after like a year and a half. Yeah, I'm I'm over it. Yeah. Oh man. All right. Well, see, yeah, Outlook signatures are still a nightmare. I wish the global cloud stuff was more than just PC Outlook. That would seem like it would solve a lot of your problems, but I guess not. Not we're not quite there yet. The technology just ain't there in the cloud yet. No, what I'm finding about the cloud is that, again, things that used to be you could streamline very well, you now have to make like wonky workarounds that take five times as long to do. It's the snake oil. It's like, yeah, everything's easier in the cloud. It's just like on-prem. Like, is it? Is it? Because I'm finding a lot more problems in the cloud. Right. Especially recently (laughs) than I ever did on-prem. At this point, I'm like, I almost feel like I need to have like a PhD in, in cloud. Because I don't understand this. That's where they get you. They want you to pay for all the training. Right, right. And then the, I'm just so inundated with things. I'm just like, uh, I think this is how this works. Yeah, there's nothing worse than going like, I think this will function the way I expect it to. I've read the 30 pages of documentation that Microsoft provided, but it just all seems like noise to me after reading so many. Yes, that's exactly how I feel too. Is that I'm just like, I now know... I now know nothing and everything. Yeah. Okay. Well, so we are just about, I think at the, I think we talked about most stuff we want to talk about. I think, all right. I don't think we have a, that is accurate this week. I couldn't think of one unless you can think of one. No. I think we'll just have some parting, parting words from our final sponsor of the show that didn't get in until just now. And it is consider your environment before printing this podcast. Be very careful about printing podcasts. It takes a lot of paper. Yeah, that sounds rough. Consider your environment. There are prying eyes everywhere. You may get shot for printing this podcast. So consider the environment. I love it. That's awesome. You, you remember that, that notice that shows up on people's emails that says consider the environment before printing this email? Yeah. Like what is, like, I, I remember I misunderstood that for so long because I thought it was a privacy warning. I thought it was like, don't print emails because then people can just pick them up and read them. Or they'll get jammed in the printer and people will see them. I didn't realize it was actually an environmental message until like many years later. I was like, oh. Oh, that's so funny. Like my brain just didn't even make that connection. And I was like, oh, that's what that means. That. I still don't get it because paper is recyclable, right? Unless you're printing like a novel, you know. Yeah. I understand the message. I just, it was just, I totally misunderstood it for so many years. Because it's like one of those things, why would you put any thought and effort into it? Right, and why is it so ubiquitous across all emails? Is right. that like a is that a policy in exchange for that to show up? Yes, it is. It's a, it's actually a transport rule. Oh, okay. I was always wondering how that showed up because it like seems to yeah. get added in after the fact. So they have. So that's exactly what my sign what my signatures. I say my signatures, but what the signatures transport rule will do is it will add it in after the fact oh there we go oh cool relevant discussion then so it's sort of the same idea the consider the environment so i put in a like put it in the microsoft documentation it's called organization wide message disclaimers signatures footers or headers so you could put a message anywhere on the emails and you can use html but remember you only have five you only have five thousand uh characters per transport rule oh that no that would be weird 
but <laughs> I was like thinking maybe I could break it up. But <laughs> coming up like, with ideas. Yeah. This is this is usually the time where I'm like, I should go to bed now. Cause then I'll be up all night like masterminding stuff. <laughs> Nothing good comes with ideas late at night after you've been up all day. Cause you're yeah. just like, How can I how can I just F everything up? Right. What is it like uh nothing ever good um talking to people after 11 p.m i don't know yeah. i think they just made that up but i've heard no, I've something heard i've heard something similar and that's how i feel about work nothing ever good comes from doing work after 11 p.m or your hobby exactly it's like you're the red light district of of my brain i don't want to go there tonight welcome to the weird zone yeah it's not it's honestly when i can think the best which is not very telling of me. I'm usually, I lately I've been coming up with like the grandest ideas, like at three in the morning when I wake up randomly to go to the bathroom. Oh, I should do this in the morning, and I wake up and I do it, and I'm like, oh, that worked perfectly. I'm like, I do my best thinking just randomly between sleep cycles. It's probably because you're well rested and your brain has had a chance to decompress. That makes sense. Yeah, because I think I recently, I came up with the idea of, was like, I realized that most of my Defender for Endpoint onboarding stuff was scripts. And I was like, wait, isn't all this unattended? Can I just put this into scheduled tasks on the servers to help me out with this? And I'm like, yeah, I can just program it. And I did a couple test runs and it's worked out great. So I'm like, I'm going to explore this a little more in the future. See, it's brilliant. I'm not sure when I thought of using transport rules. For, like I knew that it was possible, but I knew that taking a huge transport rule and putting it in. But yeah, I think it was probably one of those late night things. Those where late night like, things. Those, <laughs> the late night things. The red light district of the evening of my brain. <laughs> the you up things. Right. The the N the NTF the NFT the spots NFT of my things. brain. The NFT. I think of the dumbest things that could become NFTs at two a.m. Right. Not not for Tiff. Not for Tiff. Not for Tiff. Uh, anyways, so not not for Tiff things. So yeah, this is um. I think are we at the end of the show here? Is that we it? are? We are. I think we should wrap it up. Yeah, I was thinking so too. So yes, we are. We hope this helps. We're actually going to remember to do an outro this time because I think last episode we forgot. Oh really? Oh no. Yeah, I did a quick. Uh, I got back in the recording booth and recorded this this BS outro for the last episode that we forgot to do an outro for. But we won't do that this time. We'll do it live. So yeah, we hope this helps. Um, it's been a while since our last episode, but that's okay. We don't have any expectations on when we record. So whatever. This is our first episode, and since I don't know February or something, but who cares? We have a website hthpc.com. We post blog posts and we have a twitter and stuff like that we're around the internet in some capacity or another something like that yeah we we do stuff we do stuff sometimes we promise yeah yeah but yeah. again hhpc.com steve has been posting some really great blog posts so definitely head over and check those out and maybe we'll have some nfts in the future yes, who knows possibly but you can't take screenshots of them no no don't do that that's illegal in the year in the year like 2095 the the world the interpol outlawed the print screen key and we we can't have that because nfts yeah let's not do that anyways so until next time folks i think we'll we'll talk to you next time and we hope this helps hope this helps